We're still finding our feet, clearly. There they are. They've been there the whole time. My God. <laughs> Weeks I've been looking for them. There's yours as well. Oh, this is unbelievable. <laughs> Welcome to once more, hopefully, to I mean this is an odd it's odd for you to have started with what is this episode fourteen? So hopefully you've listened before. Anyway, I'm all already unusable. Welcome <laughs> to By the Way with Robin Leo. I am this week's host, Robert Frimston, and with me is We finally got him. Listen, this is quite a coup. We've been trying to get him the whole series, he's been busy. Uh, he's been unavailable. He, quite frankly, hasn't wanted to do it. Um, um, in his uh, in his words, "Go f- yourself" was was what he said to me the first thirteen times. But we finally got him. It's Leo West, everybody. Hello. You go f- yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say it's lovely to finally be with you, but uh, clearly it's not. Am I getting more foul mouthed? <laughs> you are. You've been the last couple of episodes. You've been swearing a lot. It's true. I. Why would? Because now you'll have to bleep it, and people can have it. to speculate about what it was that I said. I think it, we'll it, know. It was. <laughs> <laughs> Leo. Yes. What are we talking about this week, Robert? We are talking about Cleopatra's needle. Cleopatra's needle. Cleopatra's needle. Why are you saying Cleo? I don't know. <laughs> Is that how it's meant to be pronounced? I don't. It, it, there's definitely uh, a range of. Pronunciations. I'm sure the Egyptians, uh, about uh, two thousand years ago, probably didn't say it Cleopatra. Uh, Cleopatra, of course, uh, being the uh, girl band of of, of with their, have... their most famous hit, Cleopatra coming at you. I ha... <laughs> wait. Are you going to tell me you genuinely I... don't know who Cleopatra are? Uh, no. Have you not? No. I'm not that much older than you. I was going to say I have a mug of hot coffee here. You really. You never heard of them? No. They were, I mean, they were a bit of a flash in the pan. I guess it would have been like mid nineties, and they had a TV show. I think it was on CITV, mm-hmm. and they had like one famous hit, which was Cleopatra coming at you, Cleopatra coming at you, Cleopatra coming at you, Cleopatra coming at you. Do we not have to pay them royalties? <laughs> well, no, because I'm gonna have to. I'll play it to you. I won't play it now, but I'll, I'll get it up on it YouTube. It counts as a, a cover, right? <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll find it on YouTube after the podcast. All right. Don't get excited, though. It's f***ing dog Okay, I might have heard it. Quite conceivably, might have heard it. I mean, it, I don't think anyone's played but... it for 15 years, at least. Yeah, sure. Anyway, I'm talking about Cleopatra the Seventh, who bears very little actual relevance to the obelisk that is going to be the centre of our episode Well, then today. why are you talking about Cleopatra the Seventh? We've talked about this. Only talk about <laughs> things which are directly relevant to the subject. <laughs> Cleopatra the Seventh was nothing, uh, nothing like a flash in the pan, of course. She has been part of popular culture for years and years and years and is years. She, so Cleopatra the Seventh mm-hmm. is the famous one. Is the famous one, yeah. But there have been six previous ones. Yes, uh, Cleopatra, uh, roughly translated, means uh, 
she is uh, the glory that comes from her father, uh, or something along those lines. God, this is... Like what, should, what was that noise? She should be given. She should be given credit for her achievements in her own right. Right. Yeah. So not we're the, we're blaming we're blaming ancient Egypt for not being feminist enough. It's like, I just think there's a lot of institutionalized sexism in ancient Egypt. Do you know what? You were right. Oh, there, is there, is there was, more going to come later? There, there, there was a lot of institu- institutionalized sexism. Uh, there was also institutionalized uh, incest. I was going to talk about this later. Uh, but, but if you've but got incest, since, why not open it? Since that? we've got it, um, Cleopatra's family tree is shockingly narrow. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of. No, there's something about the phrasing of that. <laughs> there's a, a lot of uncle. Like a spindly tree, like a bonsai. Yeah. Well, that's just small, isn't it? No, yeah, no. I'm th- it's it's more like a like a uh, hmm. a beach. I don't know about trees. I don't know about trees either. A, a spindly a thin, tree. A thin tree. A thin tree. A thin tree. It's not an oak. It's. At some places, it's only too wide. There are like uncle niece pairings uh. that have daughters that then marry their first cousins. That will then like go and look up Cleopatra's family tree. Google it. <laughs> You're desperate to have catchphrases, aren't you, Rob? Desperate. Listen, I've got shares in Google. <laughs> Do you actually? Uh, no, I don't. But I am worried that not enough people are using Google. Have you heard of this Google? Bing. <laughs> I'm sorry, did I? You mean Bing, right? No. Oh, no, you're talking about Ask Jeeves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yahoo answers. Okay, shall we go back and try and come uh, come at this in chronological order? Because I know how you love your chronological coming order. Coming at you, like the Cleopatra. Cleopatra. Cleopatra will be coming at you in about... It's coming at you, otherwise it's not rhyme. Sorry. I mean, it's still... Cleopatra will be coming at you... In about... That's very good. <laughs> Are you sure you've never heard of them? <laughs> in about 1,500 years' time. Um, listen, I don't think people want to listen for that long. <laughs> shall, shall, we, shall we start with a description? I mean, of you're, what? you're the host. Of the... Oh, of the... Right, yeah, sorry. Of, of I am the host. Would you like to... Would you please start by describing the... Whereabouts and um, physical attributes of, of right. Cleopatra's needle. Sure. So what is Cleopatra's needle? Cleopatra's needle is an obelisk, which is a Greek word uh, for an Egyptian structure. Uh, we can thank Herodotus for that one. Father of I, histories. I shan't. Father of lies, Rob. Father of lies. Father of lies. Yeah. I, so Herodotus is famous for being the father of history and his uh, rigor and um, somewhat scientific way that he approached the writing of his book, Histories, is loosely the basis for current historical rigour. But also... Hang on. So he was the first person to, like, write down history? Well, he was the first that we've got. When was he alive? Oh, man, why are you talking to me about Herodotus? Like, this is about Cleopatra's Needle. I'm just saying that he knows... Yes, you're right. I, what a, what a ludicrous thing for me for to God's... have done. No, it was, it was, it was BC. Well, so <laughs> it's not like ancient, ancient Greece. It's okay. not, it's not uh, Homer, but it's before Cleopatra. Post-Homer, pre-Cleopatra. I know that, that gives us a, a, a range of about seven to nine hundred years, but something like that. But okay. We're fine. And the point we are. <laughs> the, the point is is that he uh, often liked to include myths and stuff in his history histories uh, and he he would pass them off as these stories which 
to be honest, he probably knew were false, but he would pass them off as true. Uh, like, for instance, dogs, dog-sized fire-breathing ants come up at one uh, point. Yeah, I know. Um, anyway, uh, he is... In what context do they come up? They... So have to fight they, 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 they... I think they guard them... It's been... You have to appreciate, it's been eight years since I've read this book, uh, but I think they guard a mine that, that there's some treasure in at some point. Right. And... Uh, yeah, anyway. Here's why we call an obelisk an obelisk. Uh, call a spade we... a spade. Mm. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, which uh, loosely translates to um, uh, pointed monument or, uh, or, n- or indeed nail, not needle. So uh, it might be closer to call these Cleopatra's nails uh, rather than Cleopatra's needle. Fingernails. No, 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 nails as in to, to hammer into a wall. You don't want to hammer your fingernails. No, but you do want to hammer Cleopatra. Oh! No, I, no, I, no, I do not. No? No. She's been dead for quite some time. The band? No! The three people from the 90s band? Oh my god. <laughs> An obelisk, if you don't know, is this monolithic, which means that it's cut out of one piece of stone. Do you know, I did not write, that makes a lot of sense. Right. I actually didn't know that was the, oh, right. the okay. dictionary definition of a monolith. Yes, that's so monolithic. Um, Mono, meaning one. Yes. Lith, meaning stone. Which is why I believe technically the Washington Monument isn't an obelisk. Oh, because it's in Because it's, it's a building, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Yeah. But it tapers. Uh, that's what I've been trying to say. The obelisk tends to taper towards the top, towards a thinner end, and then it has a pointy bit at the top. You're gonna, you're gonna I'm love. Sure, that there's a technical name. For that. There is. Right. You're gonna love what this pointy bit is called. It's called a pyramidon. A pyramidon. So it's got a pyramidon on it's, top. It's got a pyramid on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, and it's got nice. a pyramid on it. Well done, Hieronymus. What was his name? Herodotus. That's but no, that was that's an Egyptian word. Oh. Uh, pyramidon uh, tend to look like pyramids, little square-bottomed pyramids. Which word came first? Uh, which which word? Pyramid or pyramidon? I think pyramidon came first, and they tended to be pyramidons. Didn't always. The reason there's a separate word for them is they weren't always, to my understanding, on top of ob- obelisks. They do tend. To, they were grave markers. They were all sorts of stuff. It also kind of sounds like it should be the name of a dinosaur. I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a ter- is it a pterodon? Pterodon. Like one of those, but with a pyramid head, like that man from Silent Hill. <laughs> God, that's a terrifying thought. Nightmarish. Yeah. But they were often decorated with gold leaf as well. Okay, so not solid gold? Uh, no. Now what's interesting about Cleopatra's Needle is that, of course, it has survived so long. Uh, the reason is probably because, A, it's made out of quite a hardy stone. It's made out of red granite. Or red granite. And yet it is not red. And yet, well, it's red for granite, isn't it? <laughs> Let's be honest. No, I mean, it's not red at all. Uh, that's what the stone is called. And also, it was buried uh, for a while, but we'll come to that, as you would say. Now, <laughs> <laughs> another thing that we'll come to later is uh, where you find it on the north side of the river, on the Victoria embankment yes it is flanked by two sphinxes mm. these sphinxes i know something about these are not egyptian uh, we'll come to them later i also they're I facing the wrong way yeah i was gonna say yeah. is that, is that we'll right? come to that later okay. you're right though 
Now, it's one of three obelisks in the world to be called Cleopatra's Needle. There's uh, its twin in New York. Uh, Twins, as in they were made at the same time? They were made in the same period and uh, used for similar purposes, so they moved together uh, until one went to London and one went to New York. Did they go at the same time? No, I don't think they did. Um, Or maybe they did. To be honest, haven't researched the Central Park one. I happen to know that the Cleopatra's Needle in London has been there since 1878, which I'm sure we'll come to later. Yes, we will come to that later. Uh, but it was not gifted in 1878. But you're making me get ahead of myself. You, you you, mock me for being non-chronological. I am a troll. And then, and then you make it happen, and Rob. And you must answer my riddles three. Well, that's the Sphinx, isn't it? Sphinxes. That's the Sphinx, the ones by the... Sphinxes. So if you don't know what a Sphinx is, it's a a lion's body with a head of a human. Uh, Often wings as well, they're portrayed with. And... uh, The head and wings of a human. No. (laughs) And famously, they will ask you a riddle, and if you fail to answer it correctly, they'll just eat you. This is not the statues. No. Right. But this is what the statues are of. But it's not real. Well, they are what we call nowadays mythical creatures. So just, 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 just like your big cat from last week, or like an elf, or an elf. The third Cleopatra's needle. Ah, oh, yes, there were three. Is in Paris. Whereabouts? Uh, the Place de la Concorde. I know that place. Uh, Place de la Concorde. Um, fact, I think I've seen that Cleopatra's needle. Oh right, okay. I just, I just haven't made the connection. That one is technically from a different twin ship. So there were four. There, but the fourth one never moved. So the fourth one is still where it was in Luxor. Right. So much further south than where the Cleopatra needles that went to London and New York come from, because they came from Heliopolis. Right. Uh, but they were picked up by us from Alexandria. Now, let's get into the history, shall we? Here we go. So. Here we go. It was created by Thutmose uh, Third. Thutmose? Thutmose Third. I might be... Pronouncing that incorrectly. The utmost. Maybe. Thutmose, uh, since you brought it up, actually means uh, Thoth has risen. So the god Thoth, the one with the ibis head. Thoth. Yes. Or tote. Some people pronounce it. Like the bag. Tote. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, In fact, uh, there is a prominent YouTube channel that has tote tote bags. Totes. An abbreviation. Uh, Totally, yeah. Yeah. No, I got you. (laughs) Um, so he made these two obelisks. The, the, the London and the New York one. The London and the New as York one now. in Heliopolis, not as they are now. What? He made them... You know, So you know the, the Cleopatra's Needle, if you picture it in your mind. Picture it in your mind, Rob. Google it. Oh, sure. <laughs> Has inscriptions on the side of it. It does indeed. These inscriptions um, were not there initially. Initially, it was, as far as we can tell, plain-faced. Okay. And the inscriptions were later added by Ramesses II. Now, you'll have heard of him. I have. Ramesses the Great. And his Greek name was Ozymandias. Oh, right. Ozymandias. That chap. is. Oh, right. Now I see where where we're getting a poem. We're getting poems. We're doing two poems. We'll come come to that in a second. Is it Shelley? It is. One of them is Shelley. The famous one. Yes. But, well, okay, let's go to it now. (laughs) Uh, You're doing this to me now. Ozymandias is, of course, a famous sonnet. Yes. Uh, by I met a traveller from Shelley. antique land. Indeed. Well, shall I read it? I should have memorised it, mate. 
<laughs> have you have you remember? So fourteen miles. Yeah, and I I decided that I was doing this ten hours ago. Uh, I met a traveller from Antique Land who in the desert stand two trunks of I can't do it. Okay, I met a traveller from an antique land. Nailed it. Who said? Do you want me to start again? Yes, I got the first bit right though. Yeah, you did. Who said in the desert stand two legs? Legs. Couple of legs in the desert, mate. If, if I could, if and a I face, half a face in the sand. If I continue, huge it is, huge. I... <laughs> anyway, see you later. And, then, and what else is there? No, the important thing. You've missed the important thing. Oh, it's a thing, and it says he's got his name and all the rest of it. Yeah. yeah. And what else does it say? Yeah. What you drinking? What you drinking? <laughs> I'll have one of them as well. <laughs> Listen, when this I want an eye for an antique land, man. It's interesting <laughs> that you've gone with an East End accent because. Uh, Shelley actually wrote this, and I'll come to this story in a moment, as, De- uh, De- as an episode of EastEnders. Diodorus, um, the, who was another Greek historian. There's so many names. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, you're making me jump all over the place. I'm trying to help. Jump around. Jump around. Jump up. Jump up. And, and get, get down. down. I met a traveller from an antique land who said, Two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them, on the sand, half-sunk, a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor well those passions read which yet survive, stamped on these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal these words appear. My name is Ozymandias. King King of kings, kings, look look on on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. That was nice. Huge, it was. Huge. I only see half his face, though. That's what so, we call bathos, isn't I'll it? i tell you That's what, the person who made that statue seemed like a right bastard. <laughs> so you will be aware, quite famously... Very nice reading, by the way. Thank you very much. And you did a nice haunting thing with the, with the quote. I enjoyed it. Well, that was the other bit I can remember. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the important bit, of yeah. course. So it's a, it's a story about hubris. Um, strangely enough, uh, there's not that much evidence to suggest Ramesses II was that hubristic. Um, he did live an awful long time for an Egyptian pharaoh, and oh. uh, as I understand it, he lived to the age of 90. He was reigning oh, from the age of 14, I think. That's pretty good. Um, and he's called Ramesses the Great because he expanded the empire as it was massively at the time through many wars in Nubia um, and uh, Canaan, which is why he's often used as the pharaoh that presided over Moses because of Canaan, that connection there. Right. But, in fact, he was played by Yul Brenner, if I remember correctly. Yul Brenner from The Magnificent Seven? Sure. Yul Brenner, referenced in chess. The game of chess. No, no, no. <laughs> the musical chess. It's so a, it's you, a, It's a musical game. You will be aware yes. that Shelley, along with his... Some people say mistress, some people say wife. Mary Shelley. Oh yeah, I thought and, I thought wife, but they and Byron, author of Frankenstein and Byron. Yes, they often they were part of a, an artistic group that liked to challenge each other 
um, yeah, to write on similar that's stories. Where that's Frankenstein how came. exactly that's how Frankenstein was created. Yeah. Sorry, I the modern Prometheus. The modern Prometheus. So they were the famous story is they were trapped um, by a, a, a heavy snow. Uh, in the Alps, and they decided to challenge each other to tell scary stories, and Mary Shelley's reaction was essentially to invent sci-fi, uh, which is... And and the zombie. And the zombie. Sub- subgenre, basically. It's kind of a zombie, isn't it? I don't know. I would say that the Book of Revelations invented the zombie show. Really? Oh, I should read that. <laughs> <laughs> now, what I didn't know before I started doing the research for this episode is that Percy Shelley wrote... The Ozymandias Shelley. Yes, or Bith, if you prefer. Bith. That's why I. Th- that's why I avoid saying his middle name. Fair enough. Percy Shelley. Percy Shelley wrote the Ozymandias sonnet uh, in response to a similar challenge with a chap called Horace Smith, uh, who I've not looked into too much. Pretty standard name. But Horace Smith wrote uh, an Ozymandias sonnet as well. And I actually really like it, so I'm going to read you this one. Oh, so this is a, a, a less famous one. It's a less famous one that was paired with... And in fact, it, they were published in the same magazine. They were, they were published as competing sonnets about this theme. I think we all know which one won. Yeah, sadly, because I actually really like this one. Let me read it to you, and you can tell me which you prefer. So this is Hor- Horace Smith's or is, Ozymandias. Is, is it also a sonnet? It is also a sonnet, yeah. In Egypt's sandy silence, all alone, stands a gigantic leg, which far off throws the only shadow that the desert knows. I am great Ozymandias, saith the stone, the king of kings. This mighty city shows the wonders of my hand. The city's gone. Naught but the leg remaining to disclose the sight of this forgotten Babylon. We wonder. And some hunter may express wonder like ours when through the wilderness where London stood, holding the wolf in chase, he meets some fragment huge and stops to guess what powerful but unrecorded race once dwelt in that annihilated place. There you are. Nice. Um, I, I, as you'll have noticed, I'm glad you got a laugh. Deliberately there. didn't laugh after because I wanted to ruin your reading. But uh, your delivery of the city is gone <laughs> was wonderful. And I know you did it to make me laugh. I did. Yes. Well, I think it's funny. I think it's really funny the way that well, the city's gone. <laughs> but, but it's it's like it's grammatically formatted like that on the yeah, page. Yeah. There's a dash and then it goes. The city's gone. Yeah. Um, I, but I, I really like that one. I like that one personally. Feel free to disagree with me. I personally think I prefer that one to Percy. You're Shepard's. a madman. I like that, but I think I think the right sonnet one, if I may. I think that one has a nicer structure, uh, and it really hits home with the whole hubris thing uh, harder because of uh, the, it linking it back to London at the end. I really, I really do prefer that. Right. One. Well, fight, <laughs> poem fight. Anyway, like I said, you you feel free to to uh, disagree with me, which you have. So anyway, there are two poems about Ramesses II's broken statues, none of which has anything, anything to do with Cleopatra's, Cleopatra's needle. needle, of course. Except to underline, of course, the the desire for antiquity uh, amongst the, the sort of uh, Victorian... I know Percy Shelley 
and indeed Horace Smith was somewhat before Victorian reign, about 20 years, in fact, about 20 years in uh, before pre-Victorian's reign. 1817. Um, yeah, well, I think that poem was released in 1815, if I remember correctly. Released. Indeed. Like a caged animal. <laughs> Onto the world, where it tore through the poetry circles. It did. You know, it was killing livestock and bugging more in the 1980s. <laughs> Good, strong, lovely. They, they took five poems to die. <laughs> and only two turn up. So anyway, the point is, is that the name Cleopatra's Needle has stuck because the Victorians gave it to it. Now, there are three reasons that the Victorians uh, may have given this obelisk uh, an attribution to Cleopatra VII as opposed to uh, Thutmose III or indeed Ramses II. The first of those, as I say, is just, it was fashionable. Yeah, people love Cleopatra. Yeah. Not a flash in the pan, as we said earlier. Mm. Cleopatra indeed was loved by uh, many. Prevailing popularity. Uh, and that mystique... Uh, was really captured throughout history. Uh, in the Victorian period, came back in the 20s, of course, uh, where uh, neoclassicism met Art Deco, mm -hmm. uh, that kind of thing. And in the mid-90s, as we've already discussed. Yes, indeed. But there are two other reasons. The second reason uh, is that the ship that transported the needle from Egypt to uh, initially Spain and then, and then London... Uh, we'll come to that story, don't worry. Yeah, I was going to say. Uh, because that's that's a pretty big story about Cleopatra's needle. Was called the Cleopatra. Okay. Um, now, the tug that pulled that ship was called the Olga. Uh, but uh, we'll come Westwood. back to that story. That's a good name. Oh, well, Olga's needle sounds... Olga's <laughs> needle. Sounds something very different, doesn't it? What do you think it sounds like? I don't know. It, it conjures, uh, you know, deep Russian mythology and and... and sort of Slavic woods and yeah, I mean the name's fair. Olga yeah. Rob like well, what do you want what do you want from me <laughs> it's a fair question continue now I mentioned that Heliopolis was where the the obelisks were first erected and then they were moved north to Alexandria yes the pharaoh or pharaoh pharaoh that moved them was indeed Cleopatra right so that's the third reason and she, yeah, so that's the third reason. And she moved them there to be uh, part of her Caesarium, or uh, Caesarium, as it would actually have been called. What is this now? Uh, now, a Caesarium is a temple to the Kaiser, um, or indeed uh, one Kaiser in particular, uh, Julius Caesar, Julius Kaiser. There is a small Caesarium uh, that was in Alexandria, I believe. I believe it's still there. It was um, converted to a uh, church, a Christian church, in the 4th century. Uh, AD or BC? Uh, AD. Right. There, were, there wasn't Christian churches in the 4th oh, century BC. Say, yes. um, <laughs> the, whole, the whole point of the BC thing I don't know, is... maybe, maybe there was the first ever Christian church. 400 years <laughs> before the birth of Christ. They were ahead of their time. But, of course, she slept with, famously, two powerful Romans... Um, only one of them was... Mark Antony. Mark Antony. Only one of them was officially a Kaiser, though, of course, and that was Julius right. Kaiser. Mark Antony was in a, a civil war to be Kaiser after the assassination of Julius Kaiser. As per Shakespeare. Well, yeah, and um, 
Shakespeare hurries the fact along quite a lot, uh, I've found, because she had three children with Mark Antony. Uh, she had twins and then a uh, another child with Mark Antony. So there was enough time for them to, to have plenty of time. three kids. Uh, two At pregnancies. least 18 months, you'd Yeah, imagine. two pregnancies. And that's if they were unreasonably efficient, um, should we say. Which I assume they would. Well, they might have been. Who knows? And then famously, of course, after Mark Antony was killed by uh, who we now know as Octavian. Um, but I think his name was actually Gaius. His first name was Gaius, and then it became uh, Gaius... Octavianus was his last name, but he's known as Octavian to popular culture. Was Gaius also... He became Augustus Kaiser. Was Ga- Kaiser did, Augustus. So wasn't there also a Gaius in Julius Caesar's name? Was yes. it Gaius Julius Caesar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, uh, they, they were uncle and nephew. Right, yes. Venturing into a territory that I didn't actually research, this is just... Uh, I just I just remember that... It's really incredibly nerdy, but I remember that in, um, in the, the reimagined Battlestar Galactica series... There's a, a Gaius. prominent character yeah. called Gaius Baltar, and then mm. his father is called Julius Baltar, as a reference to oh, Gaius right. Julius okay. Caesar. I hadn't even picked up on that. Yeah. yeah, there we are. And I've watched Battlestar. We've talked yeah. about Battlestar yeah. before. Yes. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, that he became Augustus, and famously, after he defeated Mark Antony, um, uh, Mark Antony committed suicide, and Cleopatra followed suit, uh, killing herself with an asp on her boob. Boob asp. Uh, Boobasp. That's popular mythology about it. Right. Um, that she killed herself with an asp. Uh, a poisonous... Enjoy- you are enjoying so I that. love the word asp. Asp. Uh, a poisonous snake, of course. Plosive. So, lots to talk about with Cleopatra the Seventh. Oh, uh, yeah. In my notes, I've literally just written down Cleopatra the Seventh, incest, intrigue, romance, suicide. <laughs> in in, in yeah. my notes, I shall simply write, Leo talks about Cleopatra at length. Um, but I don't think I ever got to what a Caesarium was, uh, of course. It was a temple. Um, but there, there's an imperial cult that uh, a small group of people who worship the Kaiser as a literal god on earth, a, a literal sort of divine avatar. Um, and uh, Julius, I believe Julius Kaiser was the first Kaiser to have that cult. And so Cleopatra established a Caesarium, as they were known, mm. uh, in Alexandria. And it is whence our needle comes from. So, just to clarify, was Kaiser an Egyptian word? No, Kaiser is the Latin pronunciation of what we call Caesar. Right. Which is why the word Kaiser is all over the world, right? Yes. You have Kaiser in Germany. Yes. You have, for instance, the Tsars of Russia... Which is derived, from the, derived from the same the same word. Everybody wants to be Julius Caesar, or properly... Kaiser Soze. Julius Kaiser. Yeah, there you are, the Kaiser Chiefs. Yes. <laughs> Which is... A, a, I've always enjoyed that name, because it's hilariously redundant, Kaiser Chiefs, uh, because Kaiser means leader, right? The, so like the head band, guy. Like having a band or, called the Royal Kings. Yeah, the, well, uh, more like King Emperors. Right, yeah. Something like that. King Empress is not a bad name for a band. <laughs> Hello, we are the King Empress. Can we have a word, please? So, despite being called Cleopatra's Needle, it was actually about 1,500 years old before Cleopatra was born. Right. Um, we think that it the, the 
Needle itself was built in 1450 BC, around so, that time. So, so it is currently about three and a half thousand years yes. old. Yes, yeah, it's currently about three and a half thousand years old. And Ramesses II made uh, his alterations to the needle uh, in the 1200s BC, so 200 years later. Right. Then, sometime, probably because it was converted into a church, the obelisks were toppled uh, and buried in sand. So, uh, it, it is not the case, and I had to fight this corner when I was a tour guide quite a lot, it is not the case that the British Empire rocked up to Egypt, saw some nice obelisks, and nicked them. On this occasion. <laughs> like, like, don't get me wrong, that definitely happened with other things. But, in fact, this obelisk was buried, um, and then 18 years after the Battle of the Nile and the Battle of Alexandria, which we'll come to, um, which was a land battle, uh, the leader, the viceroy of Egypt at the time, Muhammad Ali... Uh, yes, no relation. No relation. I did... I, I, uh, this is maybe a failing on my part, Rob, but I did attempt to write down and pronounce his entire Arabic name. That's the kind of thing I'd do. Yeah, I know, uh, but I, I, I gave up in the end. I do like the fact that you are... You seem to be as angry about people's misconceptions about Cleopatra's Needle as I am about people <laughs> saying that Hamlet is 90 years older than Harris. <laughs> Fair enough. But that's how this podcast is structured, right? We, we have our nerddoms. Yes. And we, we, yeah. But um, this is one of mine, is that uh, every time I used to pass that on the bus, almost every time, people would say, you guys nicked that, right? You stole that. Um, no, I mean, no it, I, it was it was gifted. No, no, one, no ever, one ever said no that. No one ever you? said that to me. Maybe it's just my voice. Maybe it's because I sound You're like next this. that. <laughs> the weird heckle. <laughs> Maybe it's because uh, I sound like this. People want to attack the imperialism that, very sadly, uh, is still not even a hundred years in our history yet. Uh, yes. People forget that. Um, but uh, or maybe it's because uh, I had a. Uh, a a more open relationship with my my audiences than you did. Maybe I invited the heckle with my style. I don't know, but uh, but I got that a lot. I really did. So you were in an open relationship. I was in an open relationship with thousands of tourists. Yeah, exactly. Where are we at? So uh, yes, so Muhammad Ali gifted it to the British Empire uh, in in eighteen nineteen. It would have been George the. Is that correct? You're the one who knows the monarchy. Uh, 1819. Years. George III was still on still the throne. On throne. Well, that George, was the year before he died. George III then. But the Prince Regent. But the Prince Regent, yes. It was looked at. We thanked Egypt. We said thanks very much. It was looked at. People did the maths. Considered too expensive to bring to London. Right. Uh, and we basically said, can you hold on, for, on to it for us? For So it was 1819, so what, that's... 1877... There was a private, uh, it wasn't even the government, there was a private effort uh, to wow. bring the needle back. We'll, like I say, we'll get to that in a moment. Sure. Let's talk about the Napoleonic Wars. Yay! Because we never talk about the Napoleonic That's Wars. That's true, they've never come up at all. Uh, I know you love to uh, break down Nelson's tactics. Um, the Battle of the Nile mm -hmm. uh, was one of the battles that really messed up Napoleon, Napoleon's... Um, campaign yeah, in Nelson Egypt. Yeah, Nelson all up in his business. He did. The French had uh, one more ship of the line than the British at the time, 
And and given given you know Nelson and, and and at the time the Royal Navy's penchant for winning with like half the number of ships. Exactly. So it was thirteen on fourteen, um, and the the French were staunchly. How much do you know about this one? Not very much about the battle. No. So the the French were staunchly, including def- about that, I didn't know what year it happened. Defending the Nile, right? Um, and uh, they were creating a blockade in order to make sure that their supply routes got through to feed and supply the troops that were invading North Africa. The Royal Navy uh, came up and, uh, as I understand it, basically just did the same thing again, split their column into two Mm -hmm. and flanked the French and caught them in the crossfire. Right. Uh, The battle lasted for about three or four hours. Then, so it's... The famous thing about the Battle of the Nile is the explosion of the Orient, or Lorient, uh, if you like, because it, it was a French ship. The French ship, the Orient, right. blew up. Caught fire, blew up. Of the 1,076 hands on board, 70 survived. Wow. Uh, so pretty much everybody died. 1,006 people. Yeah. Huge explosion. Died, died in the explosion. Probably not, right? Like, it had sustained fire. That's how the fire uh, caught on. Right. um, Which then got to the battery, and the thing blew up. But at least, I would say, several hundred people died in that that one explosion. Um, And there's a very famous painting of it, of course, which Uh, you can Google it. If anything, it's kind of a wonder that 70 people survived. Survived, yeah, absolutely. Now, it is common knowledge, uh, or it is commonly said, that that is... The turning point of the battle, um, and you're the, right. I, every, the last four, <laughs> the last five times I've been in a pub, people have been talking. You know that about the explosion of the, the Orient <laughs> being the turning point of the Battle of the Nile. We wouldn't have won it if the Orient was still up. <laughs> you're a liar, Nelson. He just thinks he can walk it in. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, actually, the French had officially surrendered about uh, half an hour to an hour before the explosion happened. <laughs> the French surrendering. Oh, stop it. <laughs> Good. Are you done now, yeah? yeah? Um, we're talking about an atrocity that killed hundreds of people. I'm sorry. But that crippled... It wasn't... Maybe, maybe that wasn't a turning point for the battle, but the battle was a turning point for the war. Because until that point, despite our track record, the, the Royal Navy's track record of winning uh, with half the the ships, French were still considered to have superiority at sea because of the size of that navy. After the Battle of the Nile, uh, we never gave up superiority in the Napoleonic Wars again. Um, so it was a real turning point for Nelson's career. Was, it, was he... What was he at that point? A Commodore? I think so, yeah. I'm not, I think he maybe had just made Admiral. I, yeah, I thought he only ever made Vice Admiral. I mean Vice Admiral. You know I mean <laughs> Vice Admiral. This came up a couple of episodes ago. Mm-hmm. Vice Admiral of the White Fleet. Yes, yes, I know his actual title. Yes. Anyway, with the supply route to the occupied Alexandria broken, it was the uh, the job of Sir Ralph Abercrombie to retake... Of Abercrombie and Fitch. Of... I'm going to kill you. Of... <laughs> Of the Royal Where was Army. Fitch while oh, this was going on? Sake. He was a badass. He was one of our badasses that yeah. we were talking about. Our naval badasses. Yeah, there's a, uh, there's a cool sketch I found of him online, actually. like I assume we're talking 
an artistic sketch, artistic. not a, com- a comedic skit. <laughs> no, not a comedic skit. An artistic. So I was going to say, if there's a sketch group doing doing <laughs> niche pulls from the Napoleonic era, why am I not watching them or indeed a part of the troupe? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is very much your bag, and you got that bag from Abercrombie and Fitch. I wish I had said those words. If I actually did, didn't, didn't we? Didn't we basically do a Nelson sketch? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like two episodes ago. Anyway, there's a cool artistic sketch yes. of him toe to toe or hoof to hoof uh, with two. Was he a goat man? No, he was on. <laughs> he was on horseback. You git. Right. Uh, with two French dragoons, and he did indeed. He wasn't one of these generals who was up on the hill watching it all happen. He was down fighting the uh, the French uh, hoof to hoof. Irresponsible. Like um, well, yes, it turned out to be. He took a musket ball to the thigh. Didn't even mention it until the battle was over. He kept fighting, uh, fought through the wound, mentioned it later. Werner Herzog would be proud. He would be proud. Uh, mentioned it later, and then uh, they couldn't get the ball out, and he died a week later. Mortification of the wound. Oh, uh, uh, guys, guys, I don't, I don't want to make a whole thing, but I. <laughs> Earlier on, when we were, you remember the fight? You remember know, the battle? Know, know, the battle. I got uh, shot in the leg. Uh, and it, by it, it's really, it, it, really, it really, really does uh, sting. It stings. It's, 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 it's quite painful. I was wondering. Smarts, smarts. It's smarts. I was wondering if, if it's possible, maybe, we could try to remove the musket ball from its new home, which is my <laughs> thigh. Because it's still, in, it's still in there. Just to be clear, yes. it was not a clean shot. Don't go thinking. It didn't go through. It went in and out. No, 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 no. It, yeah. is, it, is, it has made a new home inside my leg, my thigh. To be honest, I've got a bit of lip chaps. Yes, I. I've had it. It's hard to walk. I would. I would feel more comfortable (laughs) physically and spiritually if one of you chaps could at least endeavour to remove (laughs) the musket ball from my leg. Like, my concern is that if we don't do this, within a week I will be dead. And he was right, and he died within a week. Um, so, so very this is Abercrombie, sorry. <laughs> Abercrombie, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Ralph, so Ralph, yeah, that's correct. So Ralph Abercrombie. Spelt actually differently from Abercrombie and Fitch. So why did he change the spelling? I don't know. So Probably, probably Fitch's idea. Um, and just because I know you love stats like this, uh, the... Hit me! <laughs> <laughs> the British had 14,000 troop, uh, the French had... At 9,000 troop, uh, the British ended up losing about 2,000, and the French ended up losing uh, about 4,000. Is there a reason you, the you use the word troop without the S on the end? Uh, yes, because I'm talking not just about infantry, uh, but about cavalry as well, and artillery. Uh, interestingly, uh, they had the exact same number of cannons, uh, the French and the English. What was the number? I think it was 46. Quite specific. Yeah, yeah. Which is why I remember it. But I might be incorrect. Anyway, that battle um, pretty much sealed the fate of, of the French forces in uh, North Africa. Um, and So we've now gone back to the Battle of the Nile. No, the... no, no, the Battle of Alexandria. Right. And it happened in March uh, of 1801, and in September 1801, Alexandria was back in Egyptian hands. Good work, everybody. Yeah, which is why Muhammad Ali. Uh, no relation. Later, no relation. Later, gifted these toppled obelisks that no one was using 
uh, to Britain. Except he gifted it 18 years after that and nobody even tried to move it for 58 years after that. True. Yes. Now, the chap who tried to move it was called Sir William Wilson. Uh, he was apparently an entrepreneur uh, about... <laughs> You're throwing some shade at him. He was apparently an entrepreneur. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. Uh, he was a, a linen uh, guy. Oh, Billy Wilson. Billy Wilson. Of the linen. He spent £10,000 in 1877... Now that is too much. ...getting the needle back. Now, I know what you're going to ask me. How much is that yes. in today's money? Uh, it's over a million pounds. I was going to say... Just over yeah, a million I was going to say probably somewhere between one and two million. He commissioned what I understand to be a boatified iron cylinder, uh, basically. An iron yes. cylinder with a rudder, uh, a couple of uh, bilge keels, uh, and uh, a mast. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen like, um, images of this. And like I say, it was the barge Olga that uh, took it across the ocean, and then uh, late 1877, uh, they bumped into a storm uh, in the Bay of Biscay, which, yes. if you don't know, is north of Spain and west of France. Um, and the, the, the iron cylinder, with six crew on board, uh, began spinning uncontrollably. Uh, now, spinning... Yes. Which spinning, way? Just spinning. Right. Not like... So this is useless for the audience. Oh, I don't know, actually. No, it might... Spinning like... It might have been laterally. Laterally or... Yeah. It might have been... I don't know. I that, They weren't specific. But uh, the Olga then dispatched six guys on a jolly boat, which you'll remember from a couple of episodes it's is just, a rowboat. It's just a thing with two decanters in it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and surprisingly, because they just had a couple of decanters to fight with... Uh, all six of them died. Yeah. Uh, their names are recorded at the bottom of the Cleopatra Needle uh, on Victoria Embankment. Um, after this rowboat was destroyed, presumably by a wave, um, the six chaps who were steering, or attempting to steer, failing to steer the Cleopatra, uh, bailed, and it was recorded in the ship's logbook as uh, sinking. But... Which would have been reported at Lloyd's. Which would have been reported at Lloyd's. Yes, it would. Yeah, yeah. Would have gone in the Lost Book. Yeah. But it was false, of course. It didn't actually sink. And uh, four days later, after the storm, uh, it was found by a Scottish uh, salvage boat called the Fitzmorris, I believe. Uh, that, that, that's just off the top of my head. Good knowledge. Um, I haven't noted that down. Uh, and they took it to Spain for repairs because... At that time, if you're going to take it to Spain or France, take it to Spain. Yep. 1877. He sent a telegram forward uh, claiming, uh, basically, he basically ransomed it, the captain, the master of the Fitzmaurice. Uh, He was like, look, I've got your needle. I've got your needle. Uh, I want five grand for it. It's here in Spain. Which, as you know... Nowadays would be about five hundred thousand pounds. Yeah, well, that's what half the cost. Of half the cost of there. the yeah, exactly of the failed uh, retrieval attempt. He did end up getting quite a lot of money for it, though. Uh, they negotiated him down to two thousand pounds was his reward. Still pretty good. He's done well. Which is not bad. He got quarter of a million quid in our in today's parlance, which I hope he split uh, amongst the crew. <laughs> and it was finally, as you said earlier, finally brought back to Britain in uh, early 1878. It was not erected on the embankment until late 1878 because they didn't know where to put it. 
initially they were going to put it in Parliament Square and they put up a big model, a big wooden model of it to see if they liked the idea of having a, a, it there. a life, life-size model. Yeah. Right. Um, and after a couple of months they were like, no, no, we don't like this here. <laughs> and they moved it around and eventually it went into the Victoria Embankment. That's a good idea, that the whole putting a temporary model there. Yeah, it's um, <clears throat> nowadays we'd just do it with a uh, computer model, I guess. The, nowadays we'll be the, uh, the computers. It'll be all computers, wouldn't it? Computers, wouldn't it? The sphinxes, as I said, were not Egyptian. They were created specifically for the obelisk. And as you mentioned uh, way back at the beginning, uh, they were put down... Over five hours ago. <laughs> they were put down classically, incorrectly. Uh, so it, it doesn't classic well I mean it doesn't actually matter because they're not actually Egyptian uh, sphinxes so it's less uh, disrespectful than it might appear I guess in a way sure uh, but yeah in classical uh, usage the sphinx is there to guard a tomb or something else important and so they would be facing outwards to guard the obelisk and these sphinxes are facing inwards they are, were designed by George John Vulimi. He no. was the chap who also designed the lampposts that are along that section. The famous oh. sturgeon, or as it is known, uh, apocryphally, uh, dolphin lamppost right. design. Uh, they're actually models of sturgeon. Um, there was... Uh, a, a competition to see what the lampshades, what the lampposts were going to be. There's always a bloody competition. Uh, our mate Basiljet from several episodes ago, Joseph Basiljet. Joseph Basiljet. Yes. Um, he put in for this competition. He again, unlike Tower Bridge, he put in for as well, didn't he? Um, I think so. Oh, you tested my I'm seem. I seem to remember he put in for Tower Bridge. Uh, that was your episode. Yes, so but for the, for the listener, we recorded the Tower Bridge episode ages almost ago. a year ago. Yeah, ages ago. But um, also, th- those, he didn't get this one either. Those lampposts, would would they not be directly above his Victorian sewer? Yes, they would have been. Uh, his design was a sort of a lion's paw with reference to the Trafalgar Square lions, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. Designed by yeah. Sir Edwin Lantier. Exactly. Um, there are a couple of the lion's paw uh, ones. He won the commission for the Chelsea Embankment, much further west, right. um, which I believe starts around Millbank, which is another thing we'll talk about later, I Millbank. Yes, yeah. I certainly want to do an episode on Millbank. I'll allow it. Cool. Um, but yeah, he, he didn't win the competition. Once again, Basiljet bottomed out there. Basiljet bottomed out. Now, uh, we uh, oh, uh, one more thing about the Sphinxes before I move on to my last thing is that famously they are uh, damaged. They have shrapnel damage from a bomb. But this bomb, might surprise you, was not from World War Two. I would have assumed it was. From no, it was from World War One. What? The bomb actually fell a hundred years ago in 1917. Um, that is a hundred years ago. Yes, it was. Uh, although we're not dating the podcast. No. <laughs> um, timeless. Timeless, these are. We'll come on to timeless in a minute. Um, so exactly 70 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, we're, we're recording this before you were born. No. The year of my birth. year of your birth. But we're not dating you either. No. Um, <laughs> Nobody is. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, uh, I have once cut off Rob's hand and, and counted the, the rings <laughs> on the inside, but... Uh, I mean, you can only do it twice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's why you don't play the violin anymore, is no, it? Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. No, so, and famously as a memorial... 
to the bombings of World War One, uh, they left it. They didn't repair the damage. Common thing. Yeah, but few people think about the the air raids of World War One. Uh, it's classically, of course, the Blitz of World War Two that captures the imagination. You say that, but I would say like four out of the last five times I've been into a pub, people are talking about the air raids of the First World War. Well, that's probably because, you know, there's a big publicity push of it at the moment because it was a hundred years ago this year that it happened. And in fact, what? Well, I was making a joke, but now you've turned it into a serious point. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. You were making a callback to the, the Orient. Yes. To the explosion of the Orient. My, my apologies. I ruined that bit. I, I know you. I know butted you. you no, but... While we're talking about the bombing raids of the First World War, not that I'm going to give away my address, but just around the corner from here, we're probably not going to do an episode on this, there is uh, one of the only memorials that I know of in London, one of the only actual memorials, you know, statues in London to those lost in the bombs of World War One bombing raids of World War One, when a nursery um, and primary school was hit and several children died. Um, oh dear. That's just around the corner from here in Poplar Park. Uh, the Poplar Park First World War bombing memorial. Mm-hmm. I think it's called the Little Angel or something like that. Yeah, you're right. We are probably unlikely to dedicate an entire episode no. to that. Yeah, we're not going to do that. Now, the last thing I want to talk to you about is... Something that I didn't know about uh, until I started the research here is that when it was erected in 1878, a time capsule was concealed in the front of the pedestal. Oh, do you know, I think I think I had heard that. Yeah. Um, do you want to hear what is in the time capsule? Absolutely not. Well, that was uh, the episode. <laughs> so... It was a set of 12 photographs of the best-looking English women of the day. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I know. Who's, who did this? <laughs> a box of hairpins. Well, sorry, this was done in 1878. 1878. A uh, box of hairpins, mm-hmm. a box of cigars, several tobacco pipes, a set of imperial weights, a baby's bottle, some children's toys, a shilling razor. They probably came from Hamlet's. Uh, the children's not the, not the shilling razor. razor. <laughs> no, that came from Fleet Street, eh? Uh, 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 uh. Sweetie Todd! A hydraulic jack and some samples of the cable used in the erection. A three... What a tedious time capsule. I, I know. A three-foot bronze model of the monument. <laughs> hey, just so you know, this is what you just tore down. Um, a complete set of contemporary British coins. A rupee a portrait of Queen Victoria, a written history of the transport of the monument, plans for it on vellum, a translation of the inscriptions, copies of the Bible in several languages, a copy of John 3.16 in 215 languages, a copy of Whitaker's Almanac, a Bradshaw railway guide, and a map of London, and copies of 10 daily newspapers. That's amazing. What is John three sixteen? John three sixteen is um, it, they often call it the uh, the mini gospel because it's it's meant to be like the most important verse. It like it encapsulates the entire story of the New Testament, um, and it was uh, let me get this right. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whomsoever should believe in him should not die but have everlasting life. 
There you are. Look upon my works, you might. (laughs) (laughs) The reason I know that is because I once sang Steiner's Crucifixion, which is a major part of. Was that in York? After you'd worked out the amount of pressure involved in the... No, it wasn't. It was in Coventry. It was in Coventry. I don't want the listeners getting cheated with this in the edit. (laughs) I don't know how much of that you heard. Leo just sang for 17 minutes. (laughs) No, he didn't. Scream. Sorry, 16 and a half. 17 seconds, boy. (laughs) Anyway... So, uh, that is all I have for you on Cleopatra's That's all she wrote. Fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating I hope stuff. you enjoyed that. Uh, I did. did you, I hope... Do you have any questions that I might be able to clear up? No, I think you've, I think you've covered everything. Um, I, I did enjoy that. I, I, I hope you're about to enjoy the song Cleopatra coming at you, which I'm about oh, to God. fire up on YouTube for you. You actually are, Of course you? I am. You're not going to let me get away with of this. Of course I'm not. For God's sake. Well, thank you for listening as well, folks. I'd suggest you now also go away and listen to Cleopatra coming at you. I'm sure it's available on the no, YouTube. No, 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 or... you didn't do it right. It's coming at ya. There you go. Uh, other <laughs> other video-based websites are available, of course. Vimeo. Daily Motion. <laughs> Daily Motion. Um, good pull, good pull. Thanks, mate. Uh, now then, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> that, no! That, that is the end of this podcast of... Oh, by the way, with Robin Leo. Spoiler teaser, our next episode. No, 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 no. We're not doing that. No, we're not doing that. Well, we're not doing the next episode. We're not doing that. <laughs> no, we'll do the next episode. Let's not talk about the next episode. I mean, you've already talked about the last episode. probably be uh, editing the podcast. I hope that's going well. It's Rob here. I'm, uh, just, uh, you're, you're getting a delivery. You probably remember that happening. Uh, and I'm just uh, going over what I have written for the uh, next episode. About Paddington Station. Slash bear. Let's have a look. Hopefully long and interesting. Hopefully. Oh yeah, that as well. Oh no, a lot of stuff here. Oh yeah, I've just I'm looking at my notes for a section of the Paddington Bear episode about which you are going to be absolutely furious. 